I'm Jose Salviati, formerly the featured columnist covering the LA Clippers for Bleacher Report. I wrote a series of articles covering the 2010 NBA Finals for the LA Times and currently editor at thepeachbasket.net. I am based out of the West Coast. Steve Perciello is a longtime educator and vice principal who was a head basketball coach for 14 years and athletic director for five years. He's also the author of a series of articles called NBA Random Thoughts. He's based out of the East Coast. This is the Shot Clock Pod. Steve and I have 15 minutes to discuss what's on our minds around the NBA. Today, we will discuss a few topics he brought up in his latest NBA Random Thoughts article. Steve, are you ready? I'm ready. All right, let's do it. After 15 minutes, you're going to hear this sound to let you know we're done. All right. Let's get to it. I'm going to set the timer right now, 15 minutes, and we're off. All right. This week in your NBA Random Thoughts, you started with Josh Hart. You wrote this. Josh Hart is the type of player every team needs. High energy, toughness, does all the little things that help a team win. I'm a big Josh Hart fan. He started with the Lakers. He's bounced around a little bit. Looks like he found a home in New York. Um, what do you like about Josh Hart? Well, first of all, he's a free agent. But yeah. but the, the, the thing about him that's really impressive is he, he's, I guess I'll say he's a poor man's Marcus Smart. He, he gets the ball wow. all the time, meaning he'll offensive rebound. He'll defensive rebound. He'll pick up a charge. He'll, he'll defend. He just plays hard. He, he proves in the NBA that, you don't have to score a lot of points and you can make some money. Um, his contract is up and he, he will do well in the next contract. He won't get max money, obviously, right. but he's going to, he's going to make a nice piece of change for what he does. And more importantly, he's invaluable to a team and a coach in today's world where players, you know, want the ball or want, he doesn't want that. He likes right. to win. So that's what makes him a little bit different. And the energy he brings to the court. Yeah, that energy every team needs. Um, there's a lot of players like that, and, and you know, he he just when they come along. Bruce Brown is another one with Denver. When they come along, boy, yep. they help your team in so many ways. Alex Caruso with the Bulls, yes. uh, Austin Reeves with the Lakers, uh, and you're right. There are these are the type of players every championship team needs and, and really has. Uh, they're they're invaluable. Let's stay with the Knicks for a little bit. You mentioned uh, uh, some interesting thoughts around R.J. Barrett. I know you're not a big Knicks fan, although you're based out of the East Coast. What do you see coming for R.J.? Well, I, I think that if the Knicks are smart, they're very close. Yeah, they, They're going to be a, a tough out in the playoffs this year. But I think if the Knicks are smart, Quentin Grimes and Miles McBride have come a long way. Quentin Grimes has an offensive game, which he didn't have a couple months ago. He can score. He can shoot the ball. And now he's starting to go to the basket. So you've got a player. He's not nearly as good offensively as, um, as R.J. Barrett, but he's a better defender. Now, if you take R.J. Barrett and the Knicks have stocked up on a bunch of first-round picks right. from other teams, if you take that and you take some of those picks and maybe put an Obi Toppin in, you might get a big-time player. If the Knicks get that big-time player – I think they will be, you know, up there with the Boston's and the Milwaukee's and the Phillies. Um, I, I, they're very close to being a real good team. And, and Thibodeau just, he gets everything out of a team. So you put all that together 
and and you know look out NBA. Um, you know it, it's been a long time for the Knicks, but they could be right back in the middle of it. Wow, look out NBA. You heard it here first. I would question, and we could save this for another time, if Tibbs is the right guy to lead that team. Um, you know, because he, he's had really good teams before that didn't quite live up to their potential. But we'll save that one for another time because yeah. we're, 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 we're time boxed here. Uh, let's move to the MVP conversation. This is what you wrote. Joel Embiid is great and at times unstoppable offensively. No denying that. He is my MVP this year. Now, let me give you my, my quick two cents, and then we're going to run to you here to get more thoughts on that. I honestly don't even know what the MVP is anymore. Is it the best player? Is it the best player on the best team? Is it the highest score? Is it the best all-around player? Is it the great historical you know, player, the player who's contributed the most? You know, depending on what that answer is, it's a different player. Right, the best player on the best team is different than the best scorer. Is different than the guy who's contributed the most. And and then the, there's another conversation around: Is the MVP the player who, if you remove him from the team, that team just you know is horrible? That's a different answer. So I don't like this catch-all MVP. I, this conversation happens every year. There's never a consensus. And maybe the NBA NBA likes that, but I think it's time to re to to to, to kind of rethink this. Uh, and I have some thoughts around that. But tell me why, specifically, you've got Joel Embiid over Nikola Jokic, who's about to average a triple-double from the center position, something nobody's done since Wilt Chamberlain. I'm, I'm, I guess I'm from the old school where the MVP should be on a team that's winning. Now, I know you can say Denver's winning, but Philadelphia has really gone beyond what people expected. Um, they're tied in the loss column with Boston right now for second place. They're not they're two games behind or maybe more, but two losses behind uh, Milwaukee. Nobody expected that. Yeah. And then when you watch Embiid, there's a couple of things you see, and, and you don't see this often in the NBA. I've seen him get double teamed in the second quarter. I've seen teams run a double at him early. Um, it tells you something. And then down the stretch, I mean, I've seen, again, he's won a lot of games with his little fall fade away or fall away yep. uh, from the foul line or, or just so many different things he does. And and it just basically, you know, and I've seen a lot of basketball. He, he's unstoppable. Um, he, he really is. The only thing you can do is try to get the ball out of his hands. And that's not an easy thing because they're, they're, Philadelphia has been smart enough to get him the ball in the middle of the court. So he, he's got the ability to end with his back turn so he can see the doubles coming at him. And if he does, he's able to kick it. Now, I just want to add something to that. For Philadelphia to go further and maybe even get into the fi Eastern Conference Finals or, or even further, you need offense, real consistent offense from either Harris or Maxey. Right. If you don't get it, I don't know if one-man shows can do it. I know Harden is there. But I don't know if that one-man show plus Harden is enough to beat the Bostons and Milwaukee's. Let me ask you, because I, I, I couldn't agree with you more, and I think that's what makes me question the pick. He's averaging, he being Joel, unstoppable offensively, undeniable. But a conversation that we always have every year with the MVP is, you know, does he make his team better? Joel is averaging four assists a game, which is great from the center position. Jokic is averaging over 10. He makes his team better. 
and, and I'm just being devil's advocate here, doesn't that have an impact over what Joel gives you? Because you're not going to be able to put up 30 and 10 every game. You're just not, especially in the playoffs. So you've got to be able to kick the ball out and get your teammates involved. Jokic does a better job of that than Embiid. Up until a couple of weeks ago, I agreed with you. I've watched a lot of Philly games in the last couple of weeks, and I just see things begin and end with him. I believe offensively, he's he's scarier than uh, Jokic, and and I and I think he's great, but but I think he's scarier. Um, you've got to you've got to be very innovative if you if you run a double at Jokic. I, I know he can pass out of it and he can do things out of it. And I, I understand that. So you don't, you don't usually double him as often as you would double Embiid. That, that tells me something right there because you're willing to give it. Now, if you compare the rest of those teams, I guess Philadelphia is better. But what I will say to you is, did anybody expect Philadelphia to be this good? No, I don't think they did. And this guy has carried them that far. Now in the West, yeah, Denver's got the best record, but I think they've lost, what, five out of the last six? Because they yeah, just beat the Knicks today. Yeah. Uh, you know what? It, it's, it's you know, to me, Milwaukee and Boston are the two best teams in the league, and Philadelphia is right with them. Right. I don't know if Denver is. Right. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, and, and I guess, you know, we'll, we'll leave this topic there because, again, I think it comes back to, you know, my thought, right? Does that have a bearing on the MVP? Uh, can you have an MVP from a losing team, uh, a team that's lost more than they won? A, a great conversation to have for another I, time. Yeah. One quick thing on that. Yeah. And again, I've watched a little bit of basketball over the years. The MVP was always coming from a team that's winning. Yeah. It's changed in the last few years. Yeah. But it was always coming from the, the, the team that was winning and, and again, the Philadelphia improvement, to me, is better than what Denver's done. Okay. And I think Embiid is the key reason. Outstanding. All right, we'll see where this ends up. We might have some, uh, some, some, some uh, material to, to come back and, and, uh, and share after the season. We'll see. All right, we're about halfway through. I've got to take a pause and remind everybody that it is March Madness. Are you ready for the underdogs, the upsets, and the unbelievable action from DraftKings Sportsbook? The biggest tournament in college basketball is here right now. New customers can bet just $5 on college hoops and get $200 in bonus bets instantly. Plus, for a limited time, all customers can score a no-sweat uh, no bet during round one and round two of the tournament. Go to the app, opt in, and place a no-sweat bet this weekend. If it doesn't hit, you'll get a bonus bet back up to $10. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook now and sign up with code THEPEACHBASKET. New customers can bet $5 and get $200 in bonus bets instantly. Win or lose only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code THEPEACHBASKET. All right, let's move on. You wrote a couple other things in your latest random NBA Random Thoughts article. You said, speaking of the Bucks. Not that we were, but this is what you wrote. Brooke Lopez, well, actually, that's not true. You did mention the Bucks. You said the Bucks and the, the, the Celtics are your two top teams, and, and I'm not even going to argue that. Brooke Lopez has taken his game up to a level this year, or up a level this year. His ability to protect the basket has been outstanding and has made the Buck defense difficult to score on. He is the leading candidate for the Defensive Player of the Year. 
Brooke Lopez, another former Laker. He has been incredible. Um, he's your defense. Well, he said he's the leading candidate for defensive player of the year. Is he your defensive player of the year right now? Right now, yeah, I think he is. Um, I, I think, first of all, the Bucks are big yeah. and, that makes it, and, and strong. Holiday's strong, and he, he's very, you know, that makes it hard to go to the basket. The Bucks have always played a defense inside out, meaning they tried to take away anything easy. That's why Grant Williams torched him last year in the playoffs, because he gave up, they gave up a lot of open threes. Um, and this year, Lopez has really just dominated the paint and made it very difficult for anybody to score. The other thing I'll say, deep defensive player of the year over the last couple of years, Marcus Smart, I think, was the first guard or wing to be defensive player of the year in over 20 years. Hmm. Usually it goes to a big man. And if you really think about it, I don't know any other big men that are, that are as intimidating as he has been this year. Yeah. And I, I don't see it going to a guard. I know Bam Adebayo always, you know, wants or thinks he deserves it, but I, I don't, you know, I don't see anybody doing what he's done especially in that run where they ran 15, whatever, 15 or 16 wins in a row. Yeah. He, he just dominated, and their defense just dominated things. Yeah, Brook Lopez is such an interesting player because nothing about him uh, yells, you know, dominant defensive force, but he's a dominant defensive force. And uh, you know, the way that he can play the new NBA game in that, you know, he can step back and hit the three. He can, he's a rim protector. He, in a lot of ways, he's a unicorn. He does things that, you know, again, that Joel Embiid does. He doesn't do it quite as well as Embiid, but he does a lot of the same things. Um, and um, yeah, he's, he, I, he's, he's a fun player because I, I just don't see him as the stereotypical kind of, you know, stud. You look at a guy like Giannis. You look at a guy like Embiid, and these guys just look like ballers. Brook Lopez doesn't, but he is, well, and uh, it's fun to watch. He reinvented um, himself when you think about yeah. it. When he came in with the Nets, he was a post-up player, yeah. and he was tough in the post. The game has changed, and instead of getting lost when it when it changed, he developed into a very good uh, three-point yeah. shooter. Yeah. And and he changed what he does. He plays around. He plays around the perimeter on offense, yeah. often. So you got to give him a lot of credit because if he didn't change, he'd be out of the game. And yeah. and somebody who's done that as well, and it's still going at thirty six or thirty seven, is Al Horford. He's also changed his game, and he can shoot the three. He's shooting over forty. So those kind of guys yeah. have made a lot of money, but also kept themselves in the NBA for a lot longer than what they should have. And, and we can't discount how hard that is for a player to change his game in the midst of an NBA career. So kudos to the guys who were able to do it. Um, let's land uh, or end with this. Uh, you brought up the Nets. You wrote that the Nets are fun to watch. They play the way the NBA is headed is what you wrote. Um, so what do you mean by that? If you watch the Nets play, you can see the direction the NBA is headed. What a, what a perfect segue you just did from Lopez to here. And, and by that, I mean, if you think about the game now, there's no more post-up. Very little. Aiton is one of the few guys I've seen that will score in the post. Yeah. Um, the game now is five out, meaning five guys on the perimeter, always holding the corners, meaning two guys in both corners. Yep. And what you're doing is somebody's driving and then they're 
getting the defense on their heels, making them rotate, and then with an extra pass or two, somebody's got a wide open three. You're seeing guys in the NBA now go to the basket. Yeah, our time is up, but I can't let you end there, man. Go ahead, finish the thought. What I wanted to say was you're seeing guys go to the basket now, have layups, and then kicking it out for a three. What it's saying is the value now of the game is the the three-point shooter, the wing defender, and basically it's become a, a guard's game, not a big man's game. Yep. And and that's where it's changed. By the way, the big man now is often on the perimeter in the middle of dribble handoffs and setting screens, yep. not anywhere near the post because they want to keep that open for the dribble drive. Do yourself a favor. If you're listening to this, go to YouTube and look up any game in the NBA from the 1980s. You will be amazed when you see the difference. Nobody waits outside the three-point line. Very few players. You know, some a few couple of players did, but the game in the 80s was all about the post. It was all about getting the ball to your big, driving the mid-range. I've watched a game recently, some highlights from the 80s, and it was blown away how 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 different the offense uh was. Uh, there compared to today. So the Nets play the new style. I think the, a lot of teams uh, do that. Well, obviously every team does it now, but they, the Nets certainly do it as well as anybody. That's it. Time is up. We are the Shot Clock Pod, and our time is up. The Shot Clock just went off. Thanks for listening. Please consider subscribing and join us next week on the Shot Clock Pod, the best 15 minutes of NBA random thoughts online. Steve, thanks. We'll talk later. Thank you.